Welcome to the Weird and the Wondrous Podcast, an unscripted, unstructured, unscheduled, and very possibly unhinged discussion of all things otherworldly, strange, uncanny, esoteric, the weird and the wondrous. Okay, let me turn off the fan because it's probably blowing right on the microphone. So, today I want to talk about Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a massive subject. Um, I will. I don't have an exhaustive knowledge of it, and this conversation is not going to exhaust my knowledge of it. And I know, without a shadow of a doubt, Whenever I am done with this conversation, I am going to think, oh man, I wish I had mentioned that part of it. Um, so my <laughs> Gnosticism, part of the reason why Gnosticism is so interesting is because it's had a huge um, cultural influence that it's, I don't know exactly how old Gnosticism is. That The specific form of Gnosticism that I want to talk about is Valentinian Gnosticism, although that's a little bit... One thing, about Gnosticism, one thing about Gnosticism is that it's fuzzy. So Gnosticism can be... Um, it is a collection... Oh, crud, I have a book open. I almost lost my place. Gnosticism is a collection of different beliefs. It wasn't originally called Gnosticism. It's, it's not. There were no people that wa- walked around saying, we are Gnostics. That just wasn't a thing. Um, it's a... Uh, but there is a collection of beliefs that is called Gnosticism. Um, Valentinian Gnosticism, I think, was one of the most popular ones, or at least it's one of the most well-known ones today. Um, most of what we know about the Gnostics were from their opponents. Like, there was a man named Irenaeus who wrote a book called Against Heresies. I, I thought about reading that to kind of refresh my memory, um, on uh, on the subject, um, but it's I decided against that because the nature of this program is not rigorous research. I know a lot of podcasts; that's what they do. For me, this is just me blathering. This is just me talking about stuff that I find interesting. So, if I decided to do rigorous research for everything, you know, I've got other things to do. I would never get anything out and the whole point of this is just for me because i like it there's some some subjects that i think are interesting so this is just for me to blather on about it so anyway uh gnosticism so i didn't read uh, Irenaeus. what i did do is i there's a, something else that i said i feel like i hope i'm gonna forget to come back to it but um what I did do, instead of reading Irenaeus, uh, it's also discussed in Philip Schaff's History of the Church. Um, but I, I, I first read about it in detail in a book called uh, The Second Coming of the New Age by Stephen Bankars and Josh Peck. That is a fascinating book. Um, I recommend it. For a few reasons, uh, mostly this is not a this is not an, an explicitly Christian show, but I this is going to come from a Christian worldview because I am a Christian. 
Um, and I, I do recommend this book and learning about New Age in general just because um, I think it's going to become – it's possible that I'm wrong, but I think it's going to become more and more relevant as time goes on. Uh, about 20 years ago, the New Atheism Movement from uh, Sam Harris and um, uh, God, Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens, yeah, that was real popular. When that kind of fizzled out – um, people started looking for new sources of spirituality and the one that seems to be most popular now is kind of a social religion um, where politics are people's religion uh, but another one is New Age um, and there's lots of different forms of New Age there's um, it's hard to say we're well, so it's like New Age, esotericism, theosophy, uh, witchcraft, occultism. Um, it's hard to say where one of those ends and another one begins. They really kind of all blur together, which ironically is like Gnosticism back in the day. There was a, um, uh, a collection of different beliefs that are called Gnosticism, and... Um, this was an early heresy of the Christian church, but I'm pretty sure it came originally from the East. Um, whenever I refresh my memory by reading Second Coming of the New Age, it doesn't say that. Um, but I also haven't reread the entire book. I've only reread not even an entire chapter. I just kind of glanced through it to refresh my memory on it. But um, the impact of Gnosticism on history, on Western history, is massive. Um, there was a guy at my church that referred to it as the heresy that wouldn't die. Uh, there is actually, there are people to this day, a very small number of people that actually still believe in a form of Gnosticism, but the impact that Gnosticism has had has not been like that. It has not been, as a rule, there's not a lot of Gnostics around today not many but the impact has been huge one is in islam um because it seems that the christians that um uh, muhammad had met in uh 7th century ad i i no, i'm terrible about remembering that but uh it seems that the the christians that he had met were actually gnostics uh it does because he didn't seem to be very familiar with what I would call biblical Christianity. Uh, so that's one way that, um, that Gnosticism has become so influential today because there's a lot of Muslims in the world. Uh, another way, next, I've been mentioning, like I, this book that I'm reading is Second Coming of the New Age. Um, Gnosticism had a huge impact on theosophy. Um, and theosophy, New Age is kind of a, a popular spinoff of Theosophy, uh, a leader of the of the Theosophical Society named Alice Bailey is the one that coined the term um, uh, New Age. Uh, it was about the age of Aquarius. That's kind of a funny story too, because this was at the early twentieth century, very very early twentieth century, like before World War One. I, I think it may have been after World War One, but I, I'm pretty sure it was before World War One. This was a time when 
People were very, very optimistic in the West about the future. People thought that things were up on the up and up. Things were just going to go get better and better, and uh, people were real were really uh, interested in practicing occultism. Um, this is where the Ouija board came from, when occultism became kind of like a parlor trick. Um, Ouija board was actually originally for um, remote communication, too, not not spirits. That's kind of a funny thing. Anyway, um, so then Alice Bailey coined the term the New Age, specifically the Age of Aquarius. That's where we get the song, This is the Dawning of the Age of Aquarius. Um and then World War One happened, and then World War Two happened, and then the Cold War happened, and all the wars within the Cold War, Korea, Vietnam. So after all this um, massive, after all of this optimism about the future, the 20th century became the bloodiest century in human history. And it hasn't seemed to be getting much better. All that to say... Um, the reason why the connection between why why is this the, the book called the Second Coming of the New Age talking about um, Gnosticism? It's because there's a, whenever one thing whenever you deal with people in the New Age, and this is also true of Theosophists. I would sometimes watch um, lectures from the Theosophical Society on YouTube. Most of them are very very boring because Helena Blavatsky was just in the extraordinarily dull person um, but uh, there are also at the same time there are some that are absolutely fascinating fascinatingly crazy but fascinating nonetheless it just depends on which one you watch I try to watch a, a series of lectures um, on uh, Helena Blavatsky I'm sorry I didn't mention this she was the founder of the Theosophical Society she um, took a trip in Tibet I think. I'm pretty sure it was Tibet. Yeah, it was Tibet. Um, and stayed with uh, some... Uh, in a monastery of Buddhist monks. I'm not 100% sure they were Buddhists. Um, and what kind of Buddhism, I don't know, know that either. And then she claimed that she read a book called The Book of Zion. And the Book of Zion was um, an ancient text um, that we don't... Apart from her work, we don't have any evidence that it existed... Um, and she um, took the teachings from this book of Zion and created a book that she called The Secret Doctrine. Now, before The Secret Doctrine, there was another book that she wrote called Isis Unveiled. Both of these books were absolutely massive. Um, you can find the audio book on YouTube, and it's like three 24-hour videos. So it's it's... These are uh, not of uh, Isis Unveiled, of um, uh, The Secret Doctrine. Anyway, I forget now exactly why I brought that up. Oh, and then she came to... She was from Russia. You can t kind of tell from her name, Blavatsky. She was Russian. Um, and then she came to New York City and founded the Theosophical Society. And... Uh, Helena Blavatsky had a lot of influence from Gnosticism. And a lot of times, whenever you deal with people that are in New Age, or it's various offshoots, esotericism. Um, there's a lady that I follow on Odyssey named Gigi Young who's really into esoter esotericism. She loves Rudolf Steiner and Edgar Casey, And um, Christian mysticism. 
uh, which that in itself is kind of a, of a weird term. Mysticism is not necessarily a bad thing, but 99.99999% of the time, someone that calls themselves a mystic is actually doing some form of divination, which is explicitly taught against in both the Old and New Testaments. Um, you know, I said this wouldn't be an explicitly Christian podcast, but this is now officially an explicitly Christian podcast. Oh, I don't intend to to do that, but it's just it's just it comes out that way. Um, so anyway, uh, so where was I? Helvena Blavatsky was a, well, yes, she was interested by Gnosticism. So whenever you deal with people that are new age they'll say well i do believe in christ but then they have like a very weird specific idea of christ and if you really talk to them like they'll say okay well you're using the word christ but if you look at talk to them in much detail you realize they're whatever they're calling christ is not what you're calling christ it's not the christ of the of what we would call the new testament at least um and that's because it took a lot of influence from the gnostics uh, so, like I said, a lot of what we know from the Gnostics is known from um, their critics, but we also do have some of their own writings. So, uh, if you've ever either seen the movie or read the book, The Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown talked about the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, Gospel of Thomas is, was not news to us. There's also the Gospel of Judas, the Apocryphon of John, the Gospel of Peter, um, the Infancy Gospel of Thomas... I can't think of any as off the top of my head, but there's a lot of there's a, a lot of Gnostic works out there, a whole lot. Um, and a lot of them didn't survive, but a lot of them did. Uh, I was listening to an episode of the Dividing Line, uh, which is the podcast I listened to. This was quite a while back, and uh, James White read out in the entirety the Gospel of Thomas. It's not interesting at all. It's um, you would be surprised. I, I I thought it would be, you know, talking about, you know, Star Trek kind of stuff. And there is, like, Star Trek kind of stuff in Gnosticism, just not in the Gospel of Thomas. Um, but it was mostly like a collection of sayings that were purportedly from Jesus. Um, but it, and it, it, it read a lot like Confucius. If you've ever read The Analects of Confucius, um, except it wasn't as good. The Analects of Confucius was... I mean, at least the things that Confucius said were had some kind of wisdom to them. Uh, at least sometimes it did. But the the Gospel of Thomas was just weird, mostly, and not and not the good kind of weird, not the interesting kind of weird. I like that kind of weird. I and that's that's why this podcast is called the Weird and the Wondrous. This was this was weird, but not wondrous. It was just kind of boring. Um, but anyway. So I've been going on for 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Um, but I haven't actually gone on to what the beliefs of the Gnostics were. And this is what made it so interesting. So the Gnostics, the word Gnostic means knowledge. It comes from Gnosis. So I, I guess Gnostic is one who believes in Gnosis or something to that effect. Um... And what they believed is that there was some kind of a secret knowledge that was imparted by Christ to his disciples. Uh, and for some reason they kept it secret and now they were the ones to reveal it to uh, mankind. And the knowledge had a lot to do with 
um, self-discovery, uh, inner, like learning about yourself, discovering who you really are kind of thing. That's probably a very modern way of putting it. But um, and, and you can tell from that description, that's why New Age, that's why Theosophy really, uh, really was drawn to it because biblical Christianity is focused on conforming to Christ, whereas Gnosticism was um, was focused on oneself, on self-realization. Uh, but the thing that's really interesting about Gnosticism is its creation beliefs. It's very, very different. I think there's some... I think there's some kind of a... It might be some influence from Plotinus. I'm not 100% sure. I, Plotinus is not my strong suit, but um, I, I, it's been a long time since I've done anything with Neoplatonism. But they they were they were monotheists like the Neoplatonists. I know that much. Anyway, the idea behind Gnosticism was that there was this one god called the Monad. Um, I don't know what, there were other names of the Monad. Um, the One. Actually, I think that's, what word, what, that's really what the word Monad means, is the One. Um, um, I'm not going to list out all these other names. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this from um, the, the Bankars and Peck, Peck book. Uh, but, so... This entity called the Monad had this kind of um, they called emanations. So there were these levels that emanated away from the Monad. So like think of like a um, think of like a center and then uh, think of oh, sorry, think of a circle. And then outside of that circle is a bigger circle. And outside of that circle is a bigger circle. And outside of that circle is a bigger circle. And as you keep going further out from these circles, it gets darker and darker. Because the center of the circle is the source of light. But every one of these levels is an emanation. And these emanations are also called, are called in... Um, oh, I'm sorry. I said something that I skipped. Um... The uh, the collection of these emanations were called the pleroma. This is kind of similar to um, what we would call a pantheon today. I don't think it's exactly like that, but it's kind of similar. And these... Uh, these emanations are also called um, eons. And these eons have personalities. And one thing that's really important about Gnosticism is this idea um, of pairing. Uh, there's, there is a male and there is a female. Now one thing about the monad is it doesn't really have a pair. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have a, uh, a complement.
but there's different versions of this of uh, of Gnosticism. Some will say that the monad didn't need it. Some will say that the monad created its own uh, complements. But apart from the monad, uh, everything has its pair. Everything comes in pairs. There's always a, a male and a female. There's always a binary. And the lowest eon was called Sophia. Now, Sophia, you may recognize, well, it's a name, but you may recognize that name because it means wisdom. Like we have the word philosophy, that means um, philo, philo, meaning love, and Sophia, meaning wisdom. Philosophy means love of wisdom, which is sort of ironic. Whenever, If you ever read much from philosophers, a lot of them do not love wisdom. Um... And uh, so this lowest eon named Sophia, for one reason or another, had a, a thought. But the problem with having this thought was that she had the thought independently of her... Um, of the man, not not the man, of, of her male counterpart. So she should have had, she should have shared that thought with him, but for some reason she decided, she, I don't know if she decided, but for some reason she had this thought without her counterpart. And this thought ended up creating this monstrous entity called Yaltaboath. I'm sorry, I said that not quite right. Yaltabaoth. Yalta Bayoth. I'm gonna make sure I have this right. Um, and this monstrous. Let's see. Let's see if I can uh, read this. Um, it has a. It has the body of a snake and the head of a lion. And when she created this entity, she realized it was horrifying. So what she did, she decided to hide the entity away. And. Uh, because she didn't want any of the other eons or the monad to see it. And Yaltabaoth was evil. Um, and, uh, well, I guess, I don't know how, e how the Gnostics thought of evil. But, at any rate, so when Sophia hid Yaltabaoth away, um, the end result was because he was hidden... Not only could nobody see him, but he couldn't see out of whatever little enclosure he was in, so that he couldn't he couldn't see anything else. So he thought he was the only thing that existed. And then he created what we call the universe. Or maybe just the world. I actually don't know exactly what they're thinking of the cosmos was at that time. But he created the the universe. This is what uh, some philosophers refer to as a demiurge. And because he was ignorant of the monad and ignorant of um, even Sophia, and he thought there was nothing else apart from him. So in his ignorance, he said to the people in this creation, in this world, I am the Lord God. Apart from me, there is no other. So... You've probably gathered that the Gnostic belief was that 
Yaltabaoth, this abomination, is what the Gnostics believed was the Old Testament God, or the Demiurge. And if that made your, if you're a Christian, that may have made your skin crawl. Or maybe you're just more like aghast, like this is really, really weird. And it is really weird. That's part of why it's so fascinating. That's why I say it's like Star Trek stuff. It's just so bizarre. Um, because that's and and why that should have made why that may have made your skin crawl is because from a Christian perspective, this is extremely blasphemous stuff. Um, the idea, the idea that the creator of heaven and earth is not the greatest of the greatest of beings. Actually, the the very first question of um, the Baptist catechism, Baptist catechism by Benjamin Keach is who is the first and greatest of beings. The first answer is. God is the first and greatest of beings. So that is, I don't know if they had Gnostics in mind when they said that. Maybe, I don't know. Um, they didn't have a lot of Gnostics walk, running around in 1677 England, I'm sure. Uh, actually, I don't know what year he wrote that. 1677 was when 1689 Confession was written. I don't know when the Confession, when the Catechism was written. Anyway, so... Um, there's a lot of weird stuff like, and this this is just barely scratching the surface of all this weird uh, Gnosticism stuff. Um, and <laughs> the exploits of Yeltabaoth, it it it's almost like a Tom and Jerry cartoon of Yeltabaoth trying to get his way, and then comically failing uh he creates adam and um then they try to they have to trick adam no no he is tricked by the monad and sophia into oh i forgot to mention that sophia had reconciled with the monad by this point and the pleroma so she's she and them are 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 uh they're simpatico at this point they're 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 on good terms again. Um, so they accent so, Sophia and uh, the rest of the play Roma trick Adam into emptying his spirit. Sorry, not trick Adam. Trick Yelta to Bayoff into emptying his spirit into Adam, and then, oh man, and um, then they re then he uh, Yelta Boath realizes that Adam is better than he is. So he tries to kill... Oh, and the um, Yeltabaoth also created another set of entities called the Archons. And I guess those are demons. Um, I don't know if they're... Maybe... I don't know if, like, Michael is considered an Archon or what. Um, so they put Adam in the Garden of Eden to try to kind of um, imprison him. And then... Now, this is something else that's blasphemous. Um, the, I don't know if he's actually, well, in the Apocryphon of John, Christ tells John that he was the one that had Adam eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't know if that means that Christ was the serpent, um, but it's, it's saying that, like, the idea is that it was a good thing to to do that because I guess because it broke free of, of the of the uh, of the garden and 
It's just so weird. This is so fascinating and bizarre. Um, and uh, the Yaltaboth uh, decides to, it, it still tries to, still tries and fails to regain control. And it just gets weirder and weirder. And like it's it's like it's a Tom and Jerry cartoon of of Yeltabeth comically failing to do what he's trying to do. And this is so weird. But and like to us today, that sounds like just weird, bizarre nonsense. And well, because it is. Um, but uh, James White of the Dividing Line has often pointed out that for the time, this was. Uh, well crafted against Christianity of the time. And one of the ways that this came into the church is because like someone would come and join a church or something and um, say privately to some person, say, hey, this is great. I've also gone to this other like what we would call today a Bible study, where we go into a little bit more in-depth. And then they spring this stuff on them. This is... That kind of behavior is still is actually still pretty common for the way um, cults work. I don't know if I would say that Gnosticism was a cult. Maybe it was. I don't... I, I mean, there was some cult behavior. And theologically speaking, Walter Martin would definitely call it a cult, but that's not really the common uses of, usage of the term cult today. Um, man, it's just weird and wild stuff, it, but it's it's fascinating. I, I don't know exactly... I don't know a whole lot more than that. Um, I'm pretty sure Jordan Cooper has got some good videos on it, and those would be... Um, a lot more rigorous than what I'm doing. I'm just, like I just said, I'm blathering. I'm just going off. I just like, I think this, I think this stuff is really interesting. Um, and, uh, well, oh, I think this also may have led into Manichaeism. I'm not completely sure. One day, I think I want to make an episode of Manichaeism because that's also fascinating for a completely different reason. Um, and also, just as a side note, I saw that, uh, I can't remember if it was Blurry Creatures or, um, I think, I think it was, I think it was Haunted Cosmos. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Haunted Cosmos. Those are both podcasts I listened to that just today posted, and, and by the time you hear this, um, it'll be tomorrow, uh, that just posted an episode about Machine Elves. And I swear, I promise, I was already planning on talking about machine elves before they, before they posted. Uh, so I'm not trying to copy them, but I just wanted to say that now, so that people know that I'm not. I haven't even listened to the episode yet. I'm, I mean, by the time I listen to them, by the time I record that episode, I will have heard it. So I may be stealing from them. I don't know. But this is just, you know, this is really the kind of stuff that we're trying to fan. This is really the kind of stuff that I I want this podcast to me to to be me blathering on, not being very careful necessarily. Just this is cool. This is interesting stuff, and this specific is blasphemous. Um, 
but it's just like it's Star Trek stuff. It is so weird and fascinating, and you half expect the Traveler or Q to come in in the middle of the story because, like I said, it's Star Trek stuff. Or maybe the uh, the Tok'ra will come and make things right. I don't know. <laughs> that that's actually Stargate, not Star Trek, for the record. Alrighty, well, um, I'm like I said, I'm sure I will have realized whenever I'm done, man, I wish I'd brought that up. But um, anyway, I've already gone on for almost 32 minutes, so I will um, go ahead and run the script and upload this whenever I can. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Weird and the Wondrous podcast. Music is Passacaglia and Fugue in C minor, composed by Johann Sebastian Bach and performed by Alexander Wesky on the synthesizer. Alexander Wesky can be found on YouTube. Wesky is W-E-S-K-I. And I recommend you looking up the video that goes with this particular uh, song, Passacaglia and Fugue. It's a pretty neat video. Until next time, thank you for stopping by.